podcast for music loving people where we take every single album by a particular artist and we rank it all from worst to first. It's a fun thing and we are in the second artist of our fifth season and thank you all for everyone who listened to our first episode, our Coldplay episode. It was so wildly successful. We got so many plays off it that we were like, you know what, are there any other middle-aged cis white gender artists out there that are straight that are also into making music? Because guess what? We did some research there is and we found one in all seriousness though uh we actually do quite love this artist quite a bit he's i think the backbone of so many different college radio djs uh throughout the world over uh he's a fantastic musician who has a very fascinating and compelling writing style that's right guys this week we are talking about the one the only the one man you can blame for the success of pentatonics that's right we're talking about ben folds uh majasha if you're nasty so uh benjamin folds uh keeps from hails from north kakalaki and he also was a piano prodigy at the age of five but he really didn't start with his piano stuff because after college he became a drummer he became a songwriter in nashville he didn't really find success until he formed his trio adorably named ben folds five uh and eventually had a small hit in the uk with the song underground off their debut album and then eventually that led of course to their sophomore record which had their big top 40 breakthrough in the form of brick which became a ballad and an anthem for so many other things and of course he later did so many other albums and projects still probably best known for the soundtrack to the movie over the hedge if we're being honest with ourselves but honestly there is so much to get into into his discography i'm so excited to break into it and dissect it right now that's what we're going to do this week. And who are the people doing the breaking down? Let me tell you. First off, there's me. I'm Evan Soddy. You might know me in the tweets and in the streets as the host of this podcast. Uh, I am also an interview editor <laughs> over at Pop Matters. And the thing is that if you know anything about me, then you know the person sitting next to me, the Darren Jesse to my Ben Folds. That's right, guys. We're talking about Ter Ter O'Reilly. It's Ter O'Reilly, everybody. Taryn, how you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm really excited <laughs> to talk about Ben Folds, but I've already cringed like four times this episode um, you know no but we're doing well no it is actually really funny <laughs> your your intro because i was like after coldplay i want to do something different what's different let's do ben folds and then as i was starting to listen to a ton of ben folds this week i was like oh white guys with piano ballads <laughs> hmm not so different, huh? Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> a different aesthetic. No, very me. much yeah. different aesthetic, but yeah, not quite as much of a leap as I uh, originally <laughs> intended it to be. But hey, the thing is, is that the reason why we're doing this artist too is that uh, Ben Folds has a lot of place in your life. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also a lot of place in the life of our guest. Uh, you might know her best. She is a DJ on Chirp Radio, where her brim is Bree the Barefoot DJ. She is also, I mean, you can't see this because it's a podcast. We have a blood red smoker's jacket emblazoned in gold stitching with the number three on the shoulders and the back and the lapel because after two other episodes, she's now part of our three timers club. That's right, guys. Bree Avail O'Reilly is in studio. Bree, how are hey, you doing? Guys. Hi. I'm excited yeah. to talk about Mr. Benjamin Scott Folds. Yeah. Wait, so she she's not a, a, a chartographer's all-star? Oh, she's absolutely. A, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, it's what been is this so three times? Long, exactly. Club. I'm sorry. Now that she's done it three times, she's now officially a chartographer's, a chartographer's all-star. All-Star. There we go. <laughs> 
I'll take a jacket. That sounds pretty great. I know. You know, like, I know. Well, now they're going to make this we have a budget. Yeah. Yeah. They do that on SNL, right? But I think you have to get the five. So Chartographer's only three. It's great. I think we only have one five-timer, and we're not getting John Harvey a goddamn jacket. So uh, <laughs> that's what I'm putting it out there. But yeah, you are officially an all-star now after doing our uh, Fall Out Boy episode and also our No Doubt episode, which No Doubt was one of my favorites. Uh, but Bree, uh, Ben Folds has been around in your life for a long time, though, right? Yeah, a long time. Um, yeah. I don't. I mean, I imagine that I heard whatever and ever uh, probably pretty shortly after Brick debuted. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, what's that? Twenty-five years? <laughs> Something like that. A long time ago. You worked at the station. Uh, yeah. Yes, the worked paper. at the paper. That's right. Man's here. <laughs> taking me downstairs. <laughs> Well, cool. Well, listen, I'm excited to talk about it. The thing is, though, in terms of ranking his discography, we really have to parse out what constitutes his discography. Because Ben Folds, the songwriter, is both that and Ben Folds 5. I mean, he's the primary songwriting vehicle of Ben Folds 5. So I think it's fair to say that Ben Folds' solo artist and Ben Folds uh, 5, we can combine together into one discography. I think we can all agree on that aspect alone. The thing that's always tricky is he has all these collaborations and one-offs and side projects and things like that. So in terms of his what, and he had two albums in 1998 that I don't think we should count personally. One of them is a B-Sides Rarities comp for Ben Folds 5 called Naked Baby Photos, uh, which occurred, you know, per our tradition, it has a bunch of other songs you hear elsewhere in the discography, so it doesn't really make a lot of sense to include it, along, of course, with all of his live albums for the same reason. Uh, Similarly, I also want to say that Fear of Pop Volume 1, there was never a second volume, it is very much a side project, a kind of bizarro thing before he launched his formal solo career. If you look at it, if you look at the way that everyone else describes his career, really his solo career did in fact start with Rock in the Suburbs. Uh, so as such, it's not really one we can include. We could talk about it in Happy R8 mini so, but I think especially even I'm not even sure if Ben Folds would include it in his official Ben Foldsography, as evidenced by the fact that I believe no song from Best Imitation of Myself or Retrospective. Uh, came from Fear of Pop, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Yeah, that's a good clue sure. right there. I don't know yeah. that I've ever seen him play any of them live either. So. Oh. Yeah, right. that, that was also a fair point as well. So in that case, if we include that and his uh, two other kind of out there collaborations, we have five formal albums, I mean, sorry, five, ten formal albums. Why did I say five? I just hung up on the five-timers club thing all the time. Uh, so basically we have the Piano Pop debut of Ben Folds Five from 1995, their big commercial breakthrough of Whatever and Every Amen from 1997, their far more orchestral commercial flop that was the unauthorized biography of Reinhold Messner from 1999, there's Ben Folds Go! solo with Rock in the Suburbs in 2001, his much more understated uh, growing up album Songs for Silverman from 2005, his, this is a little bit tricky but we're going to include it anyway, Super Sunny Speed Graphic the LP from 2006, after Rock of the Suburbs, he was taking a break from the album format. He put out three EPs, about four or five songs each in 2003 and 2004. He compiled them all together for Super Sunny Speed Graphic. It did really well, and I feel like it is worthy of inclusion on this end here. Uh, there is, of course, his other solo album, Way to Normal, from 2008. There is his collaboration with uh, writer Nick Hornby on the album Lonely Avenue from 2010. There is his reunited album with Ben Folds 5, The Sound of the Life of the Mind from 2012. God, I hate that title. And then there is his uh, orchestral work with the chamber pop group Wide Music, So There, in 2015. He is currently, according to his Patreon, working on a new album this fall of 2020 as we record this, but, you know, then guess what? He didn't catch the chartographers in time. That's his fault. Uh, but long story short, we got 10 <laughs> albums, 10 slots. We're all in agreement on all that stuff, including the EPs combined into an LP stat on there. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, interestingly, there are a couple songs that are on the individual EPs that didn't make the full length, and we'll talk about that when we get to the album. But I am glad that we're including the album so we can get most of those. Absolutely. I'm Definitely. In full agreement. Yeah, I think there's there's a um, an important progression part of his career that would be missing to me if we didn't include that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, in that case, I think that settles it. We got 10 albums. We got 10 slots. Brie Avail O'Reilly, super fan and chartographer's all-star, as previously mentioned. Uh, we got 10 albums here. Number 10, you are the guest. You know how this works. You are in the hot seat. We're just going to have a debate. We're going to have discussions. Arguments can change minds. And I'm ready for my mind to be changed, because guess what? It has been a fucking journey this week. <laughs> I have changed my mind of his albums and what they mean and what they symbolize so many times over. So I am... So, so many times. Deeply, oh my god. I am so deeply and profoundly curious. Bree, what would you nominate as number 10 of Ben Fold's discography? Oh man. Yeah, I mean, like you, I went back a whole bunch of times. My gut reaction after listening to the whole uh, the discography a few times changed. So I'm going to say number 10 is Lonely Avenue. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, walk us through Lonely Avenue. What is the album and why did you put it here? So Lonely Avenue is the 2010 one that he did with Nick Hornby. Mm -hmm. I don't know it super well, but uh, I, I knew it a little bit before this week. And um, I remembered it more positively than a, a re-listen gave it. I think it's just a little mm -hmm. bit... Um, a lot of his songs don't exactly... Some of his songs are fabulous and stay relevant and are timeless, other ones feel quite dated, um, both in the some language that he uses and just references. Um, and I feel like Lonely Avenue has more of those than any other album, and that's why it uh, it dropped to the bottom for me. Hmm, very interesting, Taryn. You seem a little shocked by this. I break. okay, so I definitely wouldn't have put it at the bottom spot, but I do understand the argument to put it there. I think that the the, the successful songs on this album are really fun. Like, I really love Doc Pomus. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. I also think... What was the other one? Oh, I don't... I mean, I fuck with Belinda. Um, <laughs> and, like, Picture Window. Oh, and Claire's Ninth. I feel like that. that is the one where I feel like Nick Hornby really keyed into the type of song that we expect to hear from Ben Folds. It feels very in line with the sort of stories he tells but then on the flip side i because nick hornby wrote all of the lyrics to this album and ben folds didn't change a single one of them he specifically said in an interview that i saw um i do think that that is a detriment to this album for example i think like password is stupid <laughs> I get, like I, or like saskia hamilton where it's literally just about like how her name is like fun to say um, I think there's there's one line in the bridge that's like, our, my life with her would be idyllic. My teacher just told me she's dactylic. Yeah. And I like, no, 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 no. I would say, I mean, I was so curious to see what Brie would say because I have a couple, there's a couple things that can be, you know, in terms of tiers, I think there's a certain tier of certain albums we might be working with here. But the thing is with Lonely Avenue is that there aren't really huge takeaways from me. I think that it's not necessarily a bad album, per se, unlike some other ones that we've done on this goddamn podcast, as we both, all three of us know. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, is that I don't really have a huge thing that just drives me and just takes me away. Like, Practical Amanda is like, 
okay, but the thing that's more striking to me is some of the bad songs, because there are just some goddamn stinkers. You nailed it with Password. The song about trying to guess your partner's password on a computer so you can see if they're cheating or not. But that cool. one's at least pretty. Like, right. it's got yeah. some good Ben Folds, you know, I guess yeah. my name is S-U-C-K-E-R. Like, I love Ben Folds overall because he's right in my range, so he's really uh -huh. easy to sing along with. <laughs> right, and, right, yeah. And Password is really fun to sing if you don't pay attention to the words that you're singing. Um, so, I will say that about Password. Do you, do you find yourself singing Levi Johnson's Blues a lot? Because, <laughs> I do not. That was one that girl. I loved when it came out because of really? course. Well, you know, making fun of the, any chance to make fun of Sarah Palin, right? right? But but now I'm like, oh, yeah, we didn't need to memorialize that on an album. That's not, no. you know. Or even, no, I know, not. Taryn, you like uh, you like Doc Pomus um, a lot. And again, I like it as a song. But, you know, he's talking about being a happy cripple, which is not something that we say these days, really. So, you know, and that I found a recurring theme as I go, ooh, we're using that word? Like... He, he says, I guess that makes me gay or calls things gay at least three times in his catalog, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so things, and maybe it's just because it's 2020 and everything is heightened and sometimes you just have to turn that off. But when I was listening deeply to his whole catalog, I was like noting the songs. I was yeah. like, ooh. Oh, oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, there there was definitely a a few of the songs that like growing up that we just heard them all the time and yeah. I loved them and then I was listening to this and I was like oh this is like really disgustingly misogynist yeah and like I a recurring theme through his I, discography like yeah. there were definitely some songs where I'm like oh this is just exhausting to listen to and we'll get to some of them <laughs> yeah but, um yeah no but I I mean I I feel you on this album I I do think that when you know our, our happy hour question of what's the worst Ben Fold song I think most of the time his worst songs are just not quite as successful as you'd love them to be. Mm -hmm. Whereas like this album actually has songs where I'm like, please make it stop. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I do get why you'd put it here. I would personally put so there in the and, bottom. Spot. And that was my initial, my initial one. And that's mm -hmm. probably number nine. And so I'm interested in having that conversation. Yes. Yeah. And the thing is that I think that so there I think that there are a couple things that are very interesting going on with this album. The thing is, is that following, and I truly do mean this, following Rock in the Suburbs in 2001, he became, I think, a little bit disillusioned with his role as a pop star, because he really was a pop star. Like, he didn't have, like, major top 40 hits all over, but Rock in the Suburbs, the song, was still, like, a, you know, a radio hit. It was a format hit. That album was a hit as well with college radio and whatnot. And I feel like since then, almost every single album has spent, in some way or another, some sort of commentary on him as famous. I feel like the only reason he really wants to make an album after uh, Rock in the Suburbs is because he's challenging himself in some way in terms of form or format or, you know, venue. And so that's why, like, Super Sunny Speed Graphic, he put out EPs because he didn't have that pressure of having to do an album, which I think was potentially freeing for him. He, of course he's going to go ahead and do some collaborations with other artists, including a chamber orchestra, including Nick Hornby. I think that feels better to him. But the theme throughout all of these latter-day records on the back half is just fame and his his feelings towards it and there's kind of this thing of like i especially on this album when you talk about capable of anything we talk about not a fan when you talk about i'm not the man there's really a whole bunch of kind of him distancing himself from his fan base from his mm -hmm. role as a pop star and while i think there could inherently be something interesting about that i also feel like he just rides this trope so many different times throughout his discography that i don't know what 
and just knew that he has to say about this, you know? Mm-hmm. That's the sense I get off the show there. Yeah. I also feel like it's coming back to that that point you make sometimes, Evan, of when a songwriter stops writing songs for the passion of making music and becomes more of a craftsman. And that's absolutely what happens to Ben Folds. You know, there gets a certain point in his career where, you know, he, he sort of needs something to, to inspire him to keep going, like Nick Hornby or putting the band back together or working with a chamber pop group. You know, he he isn't just, like, making music because he has these songs in, he, in his head and he has to get right. them out. Oh, I have to. You know, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's more like, oh, well, it's been a couple years. I guess Let's I should. Let's record something. Yeah. You know? That's kind of what these last couple feel like to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for it's, sure. It's interesting. Evan, I remember, and I could be remembering wrong, I did not look this up this week, but I thought the reason that he made the EPs was not because he didn't have pressure, it was because he did have pressure. He had to do so many releases for his record contract. And so he was like, oh, I'll release these three EPs, and they count as three albums. And on oh. Ben Folds Live, on Ben Folds Live, he has a song called One Down, and the course is like one down and 3.6 to go, and it's about songwriting and how he owed... Like, it had to have 4.6 songs, or that was the average length that counted, or something like that. And so that's why he released the three, because he was like, you know, and they're like covers and throwaways. It's like, I just have to put shit out. Um, God. That explains a little bit more about uh, Songs for Silverman than a little bit. I literally, (laughs) one of the things this week, and this is just, I mean, this is more of a context thing more than anything else, but he talked about for, uh, on his, the EPK, he put out just a little promo video for uh, Best Imitation of Myself from 2011. He talked about for Songs for Silverman, the song landed. He said that for Songs for Silverman, he kept writing songs and writing songs. He turned the album to the label, and they were just like, we really need a hit to launch this. Mm -hmm. So he's like, okay, I'll write a hit, and kept writing songs and turning them in, and the label kept saying, no and this is according to him he said that he called the label and says guys let's let's be real with ourselves here let's just be honest what elton john song do you want me to rip off (laughs) and they said apparently this is a thing and they said tiny dancer and that's how landed came about (laughs) so that is his way of but the thing is if he's having that much back and forth with the label i kind of believe that which is also why all these other albums, they're on different labels. They're all kind of weird, idiosyncratic things. And if Way to Normal is his last major label, quote-unquote, album, it makes sense because it's so clearly designed to be a fucking top 40 pop album in the way that, uh, you know, the Songs for Silverman absolutely was not. So, well, well, well yeah, I have yeah. a lot of thoughts about that. <laughs> We're not quite there yet. Yeah. But, I mean, at the same time, I would say that for me... There's at least things... I do, the concerto off of so, so there, the three-part concerto, I'm kind of, like, indifferent to. Like, it's fine. Uh, it's rare for a pop artist to go into a uh, concerto uh, classical music mode and make it very compelling. I did... When I review, one of my very first reviews I did was uh, Paul McCartney when he did a fucking concerto, too, when he did a symphony, and it was okay. It wasn't really extremely compelling. Yeah. You know. I mean, I, I do actually enjoy parts two and three um, specifically because they're shorter too well they're shorter and they also (laughs) actually have like themes that repeat Mm -hmm. that Mm. you can latch on to which even in classical music is still a thing whereas like part one is ten and a half minutes long yep and it's just very disjointed crashing between different styles and tones I mean each you know you hear a melodic line and and there's a lot like a I, a dozen or so different melodic things that happen in part one where I'm like, that would be a cool instrumental hook if you just took it out and repeated it and made it into a song. 
but you literally only did it once, and it was eight seconds. Like, yeah. I mean, oh, okay. And, you know, here's the thing. Even just so there's a little bit more of a bitter album, kind of a bitter reflection on it, especially on songs like Yes Man. Like, the thing is, Phone in a Pool weirdly grew on me this week, not in a huge way, but, like, mm-hmm. okay, I kind of dig this, especially once the strings come in. I really liked how we kind of used those elements, because he's no stranger to orchestration, as we know. F10DA is a fucking goof of a one-off. I like it that the fact that he was, you know, bold enough to actually include a dumb little joke song on there. Like, that's more of an EP thing. You just like that he thing. says Big Fat D over and over again. How do you know me so well? But, uh, I, well I, honestly, I would like F10DA if it was an instrumental. Mm. Just strip the vocals out, and it's like that's when the actual piano like, part. And actually, in. like great, like it sounds like a like a cinematic section. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of having all these cascading voices saying with the D over and over again, for example, which is my dreams anyway. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so for me personally, I don't want to spend too much time like debating the lower albums. But I will say, for me personally, I think there's at least some takeaways with so there, not like huge ones. But Lonely Avenue, I think, has so many more poor moments on there that I would actually think I would agree with Brie of setting that at number 10, but only if at number 9 we put so there. Because at that point, like, it's just kind of... I'm not mad. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Do you done. you agree with that, Brie? Yeah, All I'm right, done. Cool. Let's lock him in. That, let's lock him in. The lock-in segment brought to you by Tide. Uh, so number 10, we have Lonely <laughs> Avenue. Wait, Tide does the opposite. Oh, okay, never mind. Sorry, we're not doing the that. The lockout section. The lock... <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, number 10, Lee Avenue with Nick Harvey. Number 9, so there with Wide Music. Take that, collaborations. Uh, all right, so in that case, we are at number 8 on our ranking. Taryn, what would you throw in here? I would say that now it's time for The Sound of the Life of the Mind. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, my God. Because, again, <laughs> I, I, I do, I appreciate the return to the style of Ben Folds 5. I do think that there is there is like a very specific songwriting style shift that happens that feels more back into that sort of... I mean, it feels less pop. The, mm-hmm. the, the melodies move a lot more. There's more complexity. You know, there's... Um, the drum parts shift a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just as like a, you know, a musician, I think it's fun to listen to that sort side of it. But again, there's just something missing as far as, like, just nothing on this album really grabs me in the same way that his earlier work does. Um, I think Sky High is is beautiful and I nice. I actually really mm-hmm. like Sky I like High. Sky High. Yeah. Um, I think that Draw a Crowd is, like, a, a great, like, classic Ben Fold song. Um, yeah. That one could have been off the of fucking whatever and ever, which is, like... Kind yeah. of remarkable, given hit the trajectory of his career, yeah. like, truly. Or, like, Do It Anyway, also really nice. Yeah. Hold That Thought is beautiful. I but think like, Thank You for Breaking My Heart is a really classic mm. Ben Folds ballad to end an album song. I think it... Mm-hmm. But again, it's kind of like, it just feels like, here's the Ben Folds formula, or even the Ben Folds 5 formula, here's an yeah. album that checks all those boxes, and none of them are a song that hasn't been written before. Right. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. That is exactly how I would describe it. And the thing is, is that, like, Erase Me is still such a weird opener to me. It just it feels, especially that chorus just comes in so crashing and so harsh. And for me, and then even Michael Prater five years later, Michael Prater was this uh, recording engineer for the longest time. And it's just, like, cool in-joke, man. Like, it just doesn't correlate in the oh, same I, way. I don't know. I actually, I kind of like Michael Prater. Um, and then Sound of the Life of the Mind is yet another collaboration with Nick Hornby. Mm, oh. That explains it. 
explains <laughs> that dumb fucking also, song. Oh also, Sound of the Life of the Mind, you want to talk about actually not that different from Coldplay. That's a <laughs> Coldplay oh, whole time totally. right there. Totally. If only it was meant about birds or tears falling, then yeah. I think we'd have a correlation <laughs> you know, in, that, in that way. But the th- So the weird thing is that like more, now that we're kind of getting a little bit more into it, there are some genuine takeaways on here. The Sound of the Life of the Mind, is, I don't think it's going to be anyone's favorite Ben Folds album at the end of the day. Plain and simple. It's probably, I think, fair to say, maybe the worst Ben Folds album on there. Still better than a lot of other things. Um, I we could keep talking about it. Can I? I want to throw out my nomination for number eight. Okay. Just because I think it might be a little bit controversial. I don't know. Uh, but honestly, and this is true, and it kind of surprised me. But honestly, my pick, and this is like right, right in line with Sound of the Life of the Mind. It's like really close for me. Fucking. Songs of Silverman, man. Mm. Uh, it is It is just one of the things where I had this idea in my mind that this was like a fantastic album, like it very much carried on the tradition of rock in the suburbs. And I guess I realized I wasn't as familiar with it as I thought, because in listening to it, it's an interesting record, but honestly, there are, it is bland in a way that almost none of his other albums are. It is produced with this like monochromatic just vision where there's a couple slide guitars in there, but it's just like, him kind of regressing into middle age, like adult contemporary a little bit, and it's just not very interesting. And that's, when we talk about labels, (laughs) if that's, I mean, I didn't realize that was the story of the EPs, but if that's really what was happening there, then that, uh, like, explains all of my, the frustration I have with this era, is because I think that there are so many great songs on those EPs, Mm -hmm. and then... There comes to this Songs for Silverman album, and I'm like, where what is that energy? Yeah. What happened? Yeah. Like, I, you know, the only song from the EPs that's on here is Give Judy My Notice, which was better as a piano ballad on the EPs. I think that they produce the shit out of it, and then it just sort of loses its... Um, it doesn't feel as genuine anymore. And I think that's something that that sort of smears across this whole record is I just, I don't believe any of what he's saying. Yeah. I, you know, and it's still, you know, it sounds, it's, it's the same like Ben Fold's message that we've heard before. Like Jesus land fits with that. I think Gracie's a really cute song, mm-hmm. but it's just like bastard or you to think feel like Ben Fold's writing songs that he thinks his fans expect to hear from him, but not that he actually you know, believes. It's real interesting that you uh, like Gracie too, because for me, like one of the biggest things about Rock in the Suburbs is there's a song in there called Still Fighting It, which is about the trouble of growing up, because he's really the witty little bratty, you know, class clown of piano pop, and he kind of plays into that role. So Still Fighting It, there's this real interesting aspect of like, I'm raising a son and I kind of have to let some of that stuff go, and mm-hmm. Still Fighting It. So there's this real emotional core to it. And then when he does that, when he did with the birth of his daughter with Gracie, it's just like, my daughter does these cute things. It's like, bitch, where's the bike? Where's the venom? I think Bastard is not so much a polemic about you used to be a hippy-dippy and now you're the man. What's up with that? I think it's almost like something described towards him because that's kind of what he's becoming into at this point, too. And as such, it just doesn't have that same struggle. It's just just very presentational to a degree. It's more like I am, you know, especially in Jesus' line, that's also kind of a I'm high on my liberal polemic kind of looking down a little bit thing, less so than it is like an actual here's my struggle, please relate. You know? Yeah. Does that make sense? 100%. Yeah. No, I think it's, and it's it's interesting that we put it right with 
uh, Sound of Life of the Mind because I think it's the same thing, right? We said that that is somebody said write a Ben Folds 5 album and that's what they came up with. It's very, that's the same for Songs for Solomon. It's like, I need to write a Ben Folds album, like an album in the style of Ben Folds as opposed to I am Ben Folds and this is the music I'm making, right? Like, right. it doesn't feel like the emotion. It is very blunt. It's interesting you said monochrom- monochromatic because I think that the album cover is even in black and white, right? Like, right. it's just, yeah. there's no life there. They're fine yeah. songs and, like, you know, Trusted, I think I kind of forgot about as a song. I fuck it, with time. I like yeah. time. time. Yeah. yeah. That was actually my one of my biggest discoveries this week because I... I knew, I think, like, the first half of this album, I kind of feel like it's, like, we put the first half of this album on and then would turn it off after that. <laughs> right, we just want to get distracted and it would finish in the background and we would not, you know, like, yeah. Right. Yeah. It was on So Time, I was like, oh, this is a great little song. I almost feel like I would like it more if it wasn't on this album. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like, it, I definitely... I liked it a lot more like when it would come up in shuffle or like was was mixed into a playlist than when I was listening to it straight through this album. Yeah. Because again, it's so monochromatic. It's sort of at track number 10, it gets just washed out. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're all in agreement on there. I would personally maybe throw Songs for Silverman at 8, but Sounds of Life of the Mind at 7. But what do y'all think? I would still put Songs for Silverman higher just because I do think... I think like Jesus Land is like I really like the chorus on that one and I I, I just and, and maybe it's just because I'm more familiar with it, honestly. But I think it just it just has like a little bit of an edge, but I wouldn't I I'm again I'm not gonna fight super hard either way. Yeah. What do you say, Bree? Yeah, I had it both ways and I flip flop back and forth. So I think okay. Evan, you're writing the rankings, go ahead and do it your way. <laughs> yeah, cool. all right. So Sound of the Life of the Mind is at number eight, and then uh, Songs for Silverman at number seven. That sounds good. Alright, we're moving we're moving along very nicely. We are now here at number six slot on here. Uh, of course now we have left the self-titled Ben Folds 5, Whatever Never I Meant, Another Arts Biography, Rock in the Suburbs, Sunny Speed Graphic, and Way to Normal. Um, I'm just gonna say it. I'm just gonna be rude and say of every... Because I just read off all the titles, like, for me, next is kind of obvious. It kind of has to be Way to Normal at number six, personally. Just because it's one of those things where this is top 40 Ben Folds, which really, honestly, isn't a side that we really get to see. This is deliberate pop Ben Folds, which is like... Okay, and I think there's some interesting things that happen on here. I think this is, I would argue, more than Songs for Silverman, I would say this is his most frustrating album. Because musically, he does some fucking spectacular shit on here. He really does. Brainwashed is one of the catchiest goddamn songs he's ever written. <laughs> I hate that it is, that also it has a line about it's pretty gay to uh, trade songs with pop songs, mm-hmm. especially when you find out that one of his ex-wives kind of wrote a song kind of dissing him. This is how he responded to it. Like, not great. Uh, and of course, then you have Errant Dog. My dick is too crazy. It just keeps getting in all these random places. Gotta stop my dick. It's an Errant Dog. Like, it's just like weird, gross yeah. kind of things kind of populate yeah. throughout this album, which is so frustrating because there's some great fucking songs on here. Cologne is honestly gorgeous and honestly it's one of the things i thought i hated effington i don't know if i love effington but kind of re-listening to it a little bit i have uh yeah (laughs) it gets stuck in my head which is Mm -hmm. so i have to with this version or the one he did with the acapella choir group this version (laughs) i don't know effington annoys me because i'm like did you have to to slip in a five four measure 
You could just <laughs> write the melody so it was even. Like it, it, um, like it. I don't know. It, it, it is. It's not good enough to excuse that. To me. <laughs> you know, right, right, yeah. Like the the chorus isn't like, oh yes, you needed that extra beat in there. Mm-hmm. I I get that, but I will say, and also on top of all this, uh, Kylie from Connecticut. Was I? I don't even know what that song is fully about in this terms of one of his ever evolving character studies. But when that orchestration comes in, it's just kind of this boom, bunk, and it's just kind of like this weird, like kind of orchestral hit, and kind of this long, drawn out negative space in there. Like I, I really like it. I love what he does with that arrangement. And so for me, like I, there's a lot of things that are successful on this album, and so many things that also aren't successful on this album. From fucking Hiroshima, Benny hit his head about that time that he fell off the stage. Yeah, but that's a wait, funny are you? Song. I'm sorry. Are you trying to say that's not successful? I don't like it. Oh, okay. I think well, that's the greatest I song ever. Disagreeing your head and going to the. Yeah, I I really like it. I mean, again, we're talking if we're talking about uh, uh, Elton John, it's, oh, yeah. it's very clearly a Benny and the Jets reference. Mm-hmm. Right. Especially, it even has like the same crowd noise. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like it. I also fuck with Dr. Yang. I think that song rocks like a motherfucker and <laughs> like could have easily come off of an earlier record. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I, I I honestly think. Go ahead. Uh, you don't know me with Regina Spector. Also, was fun. You know, as collaborations go, I it's not the best song ever written, but I, I I like that song. I don't know. And I know that it is his most commercially popular. Like, this one, even better than, I think, Rockin' the Suburbs. It's, like, mm-hmm. was his most commercially popular. But there's a, a... We just named the whole album as songs that we all kind of like, you know? Well, okay, yeah. okay. But we're not talking about fucking free coffee. The song about, hey, the richer I get, the more free things you get. I like free coffee. And then fucking Bitch Went Nuts on top of that. Well, that one sucks. We don't need Eric Dog and Bitch Went Nuts. You want to talk about the misogyny. (laughs) Yes. I agree. Yeah, well, and especially... Two hits. If we're listening to Bitch Went Nuts and we're like, sir, you're talking about your fourth wife? (laughs) Yeah. Like, maybe the problem is you. And, like, for those listeners who aren't aware, part of the reason is that because this is more of a pop album, he thought it'd be fun one day when he was in the studio. He recorded fake versions of all the songs and released it as a leak on the internet. So he was just making up shit as he was going along, recording it real quick and dirty, and just kind of a way to kind of play around with his fans and whatnot. And for that reason, Bitch Went Nuts came from those sessions. And he's like, well, I like that song enough. I should include it on the album, which still doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But yeah, that's the thing where, like, this album is him being very pop, and it's just so um, disjointed. It is still kind of a whining about fame album a little bit, and to a a degree. So, like, I can appreciate a lot of what the pop elements on here, but there's so many little disgusting sides of it that show. sorry, which song does he whine about fame in? Uh, The Frown Song, very specifically, when he's talking about all these people walking back to their cars. uh, Oh, The Frown Song is about... People who are rude to customer service workers. Yeah, and, and like, that's rude about to the barista. It's about privilege and other people being annoying. It's in the Jesus Land area era of or like I'm a cool you liberal. Mean. Not yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let me I, let me toss this out there then. Would you guys say that something else should be at number six then? Yes. Yes. Okay. I want to. I want to see. I wonder if you two are secretly in agreement to what should be at number six. I don't know. Maybe you should first. do a three two one countdown. No. And, uh, <laughs> so, let's do a three two one countdown, and you both say it at the same time. See what happens. Three, two, one. Super Sunny Speed Graphic. Super, yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow. Okay, let's talk about it. Let's get into Which, it. Which and and I would say if the full track list of the EPs was on Super Sunny Speed Graphic, mm-hmm. 
then it would be higher. Because I think that there are five great songs that didn't make it on here. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about Kalamazoo. Cal- we're talking about protect- Protection. Yeah. We're talking mm-hmm. about Wandering. Wandering. These are all great songs mm-hmm. that didn't make it onto this album for reasons I don't and yet, really understand. And Bitches Ain't Shit did. Like, okay, this, I, I fuck with Bitches Ain't Shit no, a little I, bit. I'm I not gonna too, a little bit. So when uh, I... When, uh, not when this album came out, but it would have been when the EP came out that Bitches Ain't Shit was on. I forget which one it was. 2003, I think. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I was still in college and we did this thing on uh, on Tuesdays called Artists Only, which was we we uh, played a bunch of one artist for two hours, right? And so okay. DJs got to pick their favorite artist. And because it was after 10 p.m., we were a college radio station, but we abided by the FCC, except after 10 p.m. was Safe Arbor, so you could play swear words. And so okay. we were able to play that song on the radio and loved it. <laughs> um, and so I think that just comes from probably being, you know, like, what, 20, 20 22? Um, uh-huh. When it first came out, I really liked it. Um, yeah. I, he so said I that. that is the most beautiful piano melody he's ever written was what he did for... Uh... Bitches ain't shit. Sure, I don't totally. I mean, I get that. Yeah. If when you when you strip out the lyrics, the arrangement that he did for that is actually really cool. So mm-hmm. I I get why it made it on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also love the the cover of In Between oh, Days. Oh, it's so good. Hopper. Yeah. But then there's also a bunch of tracks on here. Like, where, why did you pick this over some of the other songs on the EP? Well, it was the Robin situation. I mean that, but also. Like, another, like, argument for including this is that he re-recorded everything, and I think a lot of these new versions, like, similarly to our complaint with Songs of Silverman, where the, it just, they just sort of produced the joy out of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, and, and again, maybe it's just because I heard those versions first, but I feel like, like, for example, Songs of Love, he switched it from piano to harpsichord for the album, and it just doesn't have the same effect for me mm-hmm. at all. And like similarly, um, oh, what was it? Oh, all you can eat. I used to love that song, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. but now, now when we talk about the songs that are like exhausting to listen to, mm-hmm. that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, where I'm just like, did I? We didn't need this. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't need this. I like. We know that people are gluttonous and greedy and selfish, but like. Whoa. But if you're not talking about, like, a specific experience and you're just like, ugh, everyone sucks. Like, uh, you know, I I don't, I'm not feeling it. Um, And the thing is that I also, but there are so many great fucking songs off this one here, too. Um, I mean, honestly, the other cover on there, The Darkness, Get Your Hands Off My Woman, fucking love it. I just love it when he just gets into full fucking rushes, pound the shit out of the piano mode. I think it's great. And also, honestly, uh, Adelaide was just such a gorgeous rendition for me. And also, his he did the EP with the Bens, Ben Lee and Ben mm-hmm. Quiller. I think it came off of a uh, fucking Twitter joke. I had that EP. It's lovely. They also did a song for a uh, Hedwig Tribute EP, which was really, really cute too. But uh, their song Bruised, which was a Ben-written one, is just, like, it's very Broadway. It's very, you know, Dear Evan Hansen of that style kind of thing, but like it's wonderfully rendered. I really, really, really enjoy it. I don't it. like his vocals on that you one. You don't? No, oh, it's wow. too high for him. It's mm. screechy. I Interesting. I should have really lowered like the it. key. Yeah. I, and that, like, I, I want to like the song, but just I don't know something about the way he sings the chorus on that one. The just, song just leaves you bruised. I don't know. Yeah, it just doesn't work for yeah. me. Uh, I'm, um, with, I'm with you, Evan. But oh, go ahead, T. Oh, I was just gonna say that Rent a Cop is like an all-timer for me. 
Really? Pentecop is like maybe like <laughs> like maybe maybe like top five Ben Folds songs. No, no, no. Yeah, what what's so compelling about it? I love. I mean, it's just the the extended like breakdown and all the horns and like he he's just playing around. Like, is it disgusting? Yeah, but it's kind of like. <laughs> It's like parody disgusting. Well, that's yeah. true. In this one, the misogyny is clearly over the top on purpose, as opposed yeah. to some other ones. <laughs> okay, okay, I can see that. So, well, this is interesting. So then in both your, you would both say that Super Sunny Speed Graphic would be at number six then. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't know. Now that we've been talking about it, I kind of... So I will I will say my argument for why Super Sunny Speed Graphic should be lower than Way to Normal, and I think they can go six and five. Like, I'm fine with that. The reason I would put Super Sunny lower is just because, as great as they are, it's got four covers on it or five. And so as, a, as an album by an mm. artist, I think that knocks it down a little bit. I, I, I would... Personally, I would disagree with that just because I sometimes when an artist does like a full covers record, if it's if it could be just really blasé in terms of like the American songbook standards or whatever, like I don't give a shit about that kind of stuff. But sometimes you can actually see what the artist's artistic intent is when they do a covers record. You can really kind of get a little bit more of who they are. And I feel like he's not going with necessarily obvious choices with his covers, which I think yeah. speaks a little bit more to him because he's not just doing flat out regular The Cures in between days. He's really imbuing it with his own weird sense of kind of just like hard and disaffectedness if it's still like gorgeous melody and get your hands off by woman i like just the joy that he has and like pounding the shit out of his piano as he goes into that especially near the end like i relate to that a little bit i understand where you're coming from in terms of an artistic statement and i think we've had debates about whether or not to include full covers records before on chart talk which we have and have not depending uh but like when we did shelby lynn when she did nothing but dusty springfield covers like that was a pure artistic statement or like Like, the harry nelson episode he had multiple cover albums absolutely Sure. So it's one of the things where, I mean, I understand where you're coming from personally. I don't view that personally as a demerit. That's fair. And I will say that in between days, you want to talk about an all-timer. That's one of my... Ben Folds has a lot of his great own songs, but his cover of In Between Days is just so incredible. Chef's kiss. It's way up there. So, yeah. Yeah. So, all right. I mean... I still feel right. like it's not a, it's below way to normal, but I you know like the whatever we did for the bottom two, lonely and uh, Silverman. Like I can kind of <laughs> you know yeah. yeah. I think I would now that we've talked about it, I would put way to normal below it. I was in, initially um, angry by the way that you talked about it, but um, <laughs> <laughs> now that we've actually discussed all the way through both albums, I'm like I think I do like maybe the LP slightly more. It's But for me, like, it is just a hairbreaker. Yeah. It really is. Like, well, that's I, honestly yeah. kind of this whole... <laughs> this whole list is, like... It's just incremental. Yeah, like you can kind of kind of tell the like regions that he's coming up in. So then that means uh, we have at number ten, Lonely Avenue. Number nine, So There. Number eight, The Sound of the Life of the Mind. Number seven, Songs for Silverman. Number six, Way to Normal. Number five, Super Sunny Speed Graphic. Oh my God, Super Sunny Speed Graphic, the LP at number five. <laughs> so in our top four, we have his first four albums because. You know what? It maybe, happens sometimes. Maybe it's, it happens sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Coldplay. Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, Rhea Vale O'Reilly, you have an unenvious task now. Benfold 5, whatever and every amen, unauthorized biography, rock in the suburbs. What do you put at number four? Uh, this is tough because, like you just said, the whole thing, it's basically I have a ranking of five with two songs in each slot. There's the last two, the next, like the whole time. I'm like, oh, is yeah. that 10 or 9? Okay, I could go either way. Sure, yeah. And so for this one... 
I went I went back and forth and I am willing to be persuaded, but by a hair, I think uh Ben Folds five, nineteen ninety five. I would agree. I think I would too. Okay. I want to talk about it though. Yeah. I, the, th- the thing is, is that like he's recorded albums uh, with his other bands and other stuff before, and he's not new to the songwriting scene. But the thing is, so there's something kind of freewheeling about this album, and also this is the one most unadorned album he's ever done. It's just mm-hmm. drums, bass, piano. There's no crazy other instrumentation. So in some ways, it's a little bit more basic just sonically from the other ones. But even with that, if you take that versus Songs for Silverman, he still finds enough different tones and T- sounds and textures in between these songs with just three instruments. Well, that's still fantastic. And the, I think part of the brilliance of these like early three, well, er, just these early, th- the ones we have left, yes. is the way that he using backing vocals. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, The yes. way that he using, and that's when Evan made a point this week that he, there's a little bit of musical theater in especially these early records, just the way that he lays down the melodies and the way that it interplays with the piano. And it's not just strictly verse, chorus, verse. uh, But also, especially the way that he uses backing vocals and the way that there are constantly three-part harmonies happening and not in, like, a country-western style like you're used to, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I I think that this might be one of his most consistent records. Mm Mm-hmm. And, it, like, it's just really great all the way through. But then on the same so- coin, it doesn't, like, there are few songs that really, like, punch through out of the pack and, like, become all-timers for me, personally. Mm. Like, it's just, it's, they're all really great songs. Yeah. For me, my, like, the one, my biggest takeaway from this, because I was genuinely not as familiar with this uh, record, and I know Philosophy was a breakthrough song and Underground was a breakthrough song, but for me, where Summer Be, that fucking groove that he gets on there was just immaculate. It's just, like, literally a song about hanging out with your friends in the summer. That's literally all it is. And, like, there's just something gloriously stoned and lazy about the way the bass lines just kind of work. Like, it just worked for me in a way that was just so... It was purposeful, but, like, in its laid-backness. It was so artfully done, and I really, really, really liked it. I would say that even even the songs I don't like on here, like, I'm not a huge fan of boxing, his imagined uh, Muhammad Ali Howard Cosell interview at the very end. Like, it doesn't... <laughs> speak a lot to me but it's one of the things where all across this record and like i don't love jackson cannery the most in the world but like i like that it's there I you know do. yeah i think, I think it's, it's super fun opener yeah, yeah i yeah. love jackson cannery yeah. and i love I, I you know we're talking about backing vocals I oh think yeah used brilliantly there and i also just think i well i i also think that the order of the songs like helps each other out mm-hmm. do you know what i mean mm-hmm. like even it's more, even fun. more than listening to these songs individually, listening to it as an album is like a really great experience. Yeah, because he knows how to vary tone a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and I feel like you know, even though we say this is his least, his most unadorned album, mm-hmm. he also I feel like uh, is you know putting on many hats and doing a lot of different like pulling a piano. A rhythm from like a different classical rock style um, all across this record. Yeah, I agree, and I think you know to everything that was just said, it's almost like you know the the first four are the best I think because it was still the joy of making music, right? Part of the things we don't like about the later ones is because he's kind of over it and he feels like this is just what he does because he's a 
famous musician now, but early on they weren't famous, and the only reason that this one, I think, is the lowest of the four early ones is because it was their first one, so it's a little bit raw in sound, and they're still kind of figuring out who they were as a band, and etc. But yeah, I think everything you said, I love philosophy. I also love Jackson Cannery. Um, mm. Underground. Yeah, they're good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Un- Uncle Walter I could kind of do without. Sports and Wine yeah, is sports catchy. Sports and Wine, similarly. But yeah. don't listen too closely to the lyrics. Yeah. Well, that's another one where I think Sports and Wine is supposed to be, like, parody misogyny. Yeah. But, like, when you also have so much actual misogyny in your lyrics, <laughs> right. it's hard to really it assert. kind of doesn't matter yeah. right. whether you're trying to be funny or, or not. not. You're yeah. still saying yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think the I think the top the first like six of this album, great. The brilliant. second yeah. half, uh, some misses, but the first six are brilliant enough that I think it definitely deserves a spot in the top four. Well, this is weird. I think we're in agreement on this. Great! Hey, yeah. hey Ben Folds Five at number four, which means Taryn of our three albums that we have left, what is number three? Okay, so this might be. A little controversial. I'm ready. It's a personal opinion. I would next go with whatever and every email. <gasps> oh my god! I agree. Oh yeah. my god! Really? Yeah. Whoa! Nice. Cool. Whoa! Cool. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah, because I mean, this is like clearly, this is his highest selling album I still to this shocked. day, I believe. I am um, shocked. So that, you know, there's sort of the assumption that we're gonna call it his best, but. Um, I and and there there are some fucking incredible songs yes. here. Don't get me wrong. I think One Angry Dwarf and Two Hundred Solemn Faces is a fantastic opener and one of the better songs he's written. Um, one of the better. One of his. One of his. I think best ultimately. Yeah, that's what yeah. I mean. Um, and this is another one where it's just like okay, even even the songs that aren't my favorite. I'm not skipping them. This is just like a really solid record. Right. Also, oh, again, if we're talking about standouts, Steven's last name. Oh, in town. fuck yes. Fuck Fucking yes. so incredible. great. You talk about all timers right up there. It's one yeah. of the best. That fucking, having those fucking oboes in there is just like, because this is the thing where like between Ben Folds, whatever, and then author, unauthorized biography, more and more instruments get added the more he moves along to the mm-hmm. point where like with unauthorized biography, it is full, full blown orchestrations mm-hmm. for a lot of it. But honestly, just the small little additions that he has in all, every single one of these is so great. Even for me, even with Kate, when you have the chorus of Kate, and then you have that weird like cowbell hit, like dun 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 Kate, dun dun, oh. like just that small little addition on there is Kate. so <laughs> right. Exactly. It's just and apparently that was him. And apparently his girlfriend at the time was just like, you know, what? no one ever writes song and people write musical songs about Belinda and all these other fancy names. No one ever writes a musical about a someone named Kate. Because it's just a single syllable, so that was his challenge. So he wanted to write a song that was basically a musical that would include her name in it, which is like really, really, really cool. Yeah. Well, and I like it too because it's it's funny because I feel like there's a bunch of songs about Jane, but Jane is <laughs> uh-huh. is like that's like it's all soft sounds. It's a J and an N, whereas like Kate is so percussive mm-hmm. that it has to be that you like have to yell shouted, it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's so he did it perfectly. Yeah. 
And I will say, I've had a, a real struggle this week, too, because the very first song I ever heard from Ben Folds was Song for the Dumped, and I hated it. Because it is, again, we're talking a little bit about misogyny, which kind of colors his career. It's a catchy fucking song, but also it's a little gross, let's be real. Mm -hmm. And that's like one of the things where... In terms of, I, I would not have put this at number three. I could see, if you wanted to just base it off of something like that alone being disgusting, I could believe that completely. There's also just so many other, like, moments on here that are so striking. Cigarette, as much as an interlude as it is, is just, I love how he has this as the introduction of Fred Jones that he later continues on with mm -hmm. London the Suburbs. I love that there's kind of a multi-album character arc that he does semi-intentionally. Um, and also, uh, you know, Smoke, I thought was lovely. Like, for me... It's like it's it's a tough one because like even if there's like missing the war isn't my favorite like yeah I can't think but of a works. bad song yeah. on here outside of maybe song for the dumped but even then like it is such a solid record up and down why would you put this here versus some of the other albums uh, it's just a matter of who crosses the finish line first honestly I don't really have any complaints about this record I think it's really really good. I, you know, I, I, I could, like I said, I could listen to this start to finish. I understand why Brick is his biggest hit, because mm -hmm. it is like a very, both, it's both very moving and it's like a traditional pop song format. Um, but I think that there are like five or six songs on here that are even stronger. I mean, um, go ahead. Battle of Who Could Care Less is such a well-crafted song about being ambivalent. Like, mm -hmm. uh, so many other albums are just him being ambivalent and they suck, but this one, he, uh, he obviously does care, right? It's like a great right? song about yeah. not caring. Um, yeah. yeah. I would, and that's the thing, too, where, like, it's just kind of weird how you mentioned Brick. For some reason, because that song has become so popular and so just ingrained in our consciousness, like, you mentioned it, and I kind of forgot it was on here for a second, just because I was so just, in, like, I was thinking about so many other discoveries and so many other things mm -hmm. that I hold true on this one here. Fair, with its fucking Muppet <laughs> vocal, like, I just, it's so wonderful. I just love it so goddamn much. Like, it's, uh, it's such a hard pick for me. Can I... Can I just briefly, just because we have this discussion, and this might throw everything off course, but can I just throw what my pick for number three would have been at this point? Sure. Isn't that why we're here? I yeah. think so. My pick, and the thing is that we're between these three albums, we're talking about quality here. My personal pick would be Unauthorized Biography of Reinhold Messner, personally. And it's one of those things where this is one where it's like, you can tell there's such a leap between every every one of these albums, between whatever, ever, Unauthobiography and uh, Rock in the Suburbs. Just in terms of him as a songwriter, he is stretching out. And I feel like with Unauthobiography, I almost would argue it's his most ambitious record, I would say. Because it's yeah. just, in terms of not only uh, songwriting, in terms of orchestration, in the way that you have fucking uh, Hospital Song, Army, and Regrets kind of actually have the same like chords on there he said those three songs actually have the same chords altogether. there's kind of a continuation even with regrets when he opens with i thought about right. and like borrowing the exact same vocal melody like it all correlates together it is this larger thing and the th my only thing with this while i feel like whatever and ever and then doesn't have like any major weak spots it's one of the things where another's biography is a much more mature album and it's one of those things where like army is such a clear and obvious single it's actually the one that really got me into ben fold because after hearing song for the dumped as a teenager i'm like this sucks i hate this guy and then hearing army i'm like wow this is catchy as all fuck i really dig this and it's such an epic narrative he's telling in the course of a single pop song i mm -hmm. love that absolutely it was just more the thing with the rest of this 
album is one of those things where it doesn't have as many gimme gimme pop moments in the way that whatever and ever ever amen does which is one of the things where like i've kind of learned to embrace the maturity of it it is a harder album it is not as commercial an album it is more mature but like it's that fine line for me between these two of just like uh you know musicality and to a degree catchiness for me that kind of brings me into that world so i I do definitely understand that viewpoint and Uh i think that's reflected in how popular these two albums are you know whatever and ever and and whatever and ever (laughs) amen um definitely has bigger pop moments Mm -hmm. but unauthorized biography to me is a brilliant composer who finally has access to all the tools he's always wanted to use, Mm -hmm. using them to the best of his ability. And I think that, I don't know, I don't know other, a ton of other artists that could pull off narcolepsy or like, don't change your plans was one, you know, because obviously Ben Folds was very foundational in our family. And there were a couple songs that, you know, I had like pulled from his catalog and kept with me in my my repertoire. But then going back this week to these early albums and I listened to Don't Change Your Plans for the first time. And I was like, oh, this is what I like. Like, this is what Taryn likes in music, just sort of distilled into a single song. And like and and that was one where I was like, oh, shit, I forgot how much this song like hits me in all the right places because it's also really fucking sad. It, oh but my it's so god, sad. so <laughs> sad, and and but it's sad in a way that like it's a place I have been since hearing this song for the first time. I've gone through some shit and like it it almost means even more to me now. Mm-hmm. But then it also has that like that big poppy seventies horn and strings moment in the middle. And I just, I mean, I just think it's absolutely brilliant. And then also, like, for example, on Magic, um, the last time they do the chorus, it each each line gets led in with timpani, mm-hmm. like, prominently displayed. When else do you hear timpani on a rock album? Not just, like, in the background, like, oh, they got a whole orchestra, but, like, he knew that that was the instrument he wanted right there to get the effect he needed. And that's... Part of why I put this album higher is just because I think there is it's it's like experimental in a way that he wasn't free to be before, but still there's there's all of the brilliance of this like peak era of songwriting on display. Brie, what do you think? Ronald Messner is my number one. It's one of my <sighs> it's one of my honestly favorite albums of all time. And I will say, when it first came out, being already a Ben Folds Five fan from self titled and then whatever and ever, I didn't get it. I was sixteen. I found it inaccessible. I was like, "What is this nonsense?" But it has grown on me so much. And as a as a artist statement, I think exactly what I mean. You both said it's it's a con- it's almost a concept album, right? You know, mm-hmm. yeah. um, of, I don't think the word Reinhold Messer ever appears, but theoretically, right? It's a story about this guy's life. It, it, they all flow together. I think the orchestration is fabulous. Personally, um, the first time that I saw him live was right after this came out. And when he has the whole crowd sing along to Army, you do the horn parts. It's like a thing that he does regularly. But it wasn't a thing yet because the album had just come out. And so that yeah. was so fun. And I have my, like, 
folder of data that I've pulled at work is called Excels I have made. Like, oh, Excels I have made. Like, oh, this mess I have made. I mean, that's how much that song, like, I just, you know, and I, and I get that that's not true for everybody. I don't expect it to end up number one. But for me, um, Narcolepsy is such a great song. How many songs about narcolepsy are there? Um, there's another one by Third Eye Blind, but that's the only two that I know yeah, of. It's not, it's not um, as good. <laughs> it's not as good. And this one, I think he once said, I don't know if this is still true, but that was his favorite song ever to play. Um, I just feel like mm-hmm. it feels, he's invested, he's telling this story, it's so unique. Um, I think it's a, a fabulous album, top to bottom. You know, the last Jane and Lullaby, maybe not the best, but all the rest. Yeah. And see, like, for me, like, the only... We're talking about these top three right now. And for me, the only reason I would put it down here is that I enjoy our top three thoroughly, straight fucking through. But the biggest thing is, like, for me, Jane Lullaby, and honestly, honestly, your Redneck Pass don't have that same oomph mm, that I, I have on there. Love I love redneck how Pass. your Redneck Pass ties into ARMY so beautifully. I it's such love... a perfect intro to Luke. When we're talking about... Burr, 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 burr. So, I understand... And still support the decision not to include Fear of Pop in our ranking. Yes. But you can hear he figured out how to do some things on that that then he brought mm. to this album. Mm-hmm. And I think Your Redneck Past is a the the most the biggest example of that. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, fuck song structure. <laughs> fuck Yeah. Fuck like you know, because he so many times will bring in an element that then doesn't come back again or that you know, it comes back again but it's slightly different. And there's a lot of, like, blarbly synth noises happening that, like, I, again, I don't think he would have had the courage to put in before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, it almost, it almost feels like a little, like, a Gorillaz-y. I know that came after this, but, like, it just in the way that, that it, he, he plays with unexpected prominent musical elements. Well, and I feel like not necessarily that we just did our Coldplay episode. Now, obviously, listeners listen to all of our albums in order, so they know this discussion as well. But I really feel like he did that (laughs) thing that some bands do where they realize at one point, oh, we don't have to be a rock band anymore. Like, there's this kind of revelation of, like, we can do pop songs. We can bring in other instruments that we don't normally play on here. Like, Coldplay did it at one point. Honestly, OK Go is another band that, for the longest time, they were just doing straight-up guitar-based drums rock and then realized, oh, we can fuck around with synths. We could do other things on there. You know, when I interviewed Damien Kula, she mentioned that that was a freeing thing for him. And I feel like this is the album. You can see it a little bit on Whatever and Ever, but I think you're right. With Fear of Pop, he kind of realized... Ben Folds 5 can be whatever the fuck we want it to be. Mm-hmm. We could be all of these different things at once. So yeah, we're going to do fucking orchestration. Yeah, we're going to do unconventional song structures. We're going to maybe structure it like a musical and have repeating motifs. Like, I think that there's a lot of strength to that there. But I don't want to get parlayed because we're here. We're at number three. Let's just fucking talk about it then. We still need to talk about Rockin' the Suburbs. And here's the thing about motherfucking Rockin' the Suburbs more than way to normal. This is Ben Folds 5 rediscovering what it means to do a fucking pop song and then filling a fucking album full of mm-hmm. them. Fucking any weight. Can we talk about, uh, in terms of an opener, ding, ding, oh, ding, so ding, 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 <laughs> Like, it's just like, it brings you right the fuck in. And the thing is that, like, Oh, shit. This is hard for me, too. Because for me, I always thought that it was going to be the pop records kind of fighting for uh, oneness. But if we're going to be talking about Rock in the Suburbs, especially versus whatever and ever, 
that's such a hard fucking battle for me because, dear God, the thing is that he, well, Brick was, I know, their breakthrough song on here. The pathos that he finds on here in Still Fighting It, in fucking Fred Jones Part 2, in fucking uh, The Luckiest, like, there's just an emotional level he reaches on this album that is, like, despite the fact that this is arguably his most quote-unquote accessible, just in terms mm -hmm. of sheer popness, there is some real fucking gears grinding behind his brain on here. He really yeah. lays his heart out on this record. Well, and for all of the misogyny we've given him shit for for the past hour or whatever, The Luckiest is a gorgeous love song. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, like, well, it, it's that alone, it was, like, elevates this one, I think. It was, I think, the first song he recorded. Well, not not the first song he recorded. I think the first song that he put out, out on one of the albums that he didn't write. Mm. The luckiest, which is just an interesting, maybe explanation for, for why, why it's misogynistic. I didn't, but, I didn't realize yeah, he wrote it. But it is also, um, I know that this isn't every metric we should be looking at, but it is between both Benfolds and Benfolds Five. It's his second most played song after Brick. Is the luckiest. Well, because um, I, I was looking back when I interviewed him, and he talked about how this was like, yeah, there was some, like, Martha Stewart side of, like, the ten best first dance songs to play at a wedding, and they include the luckiest on there. And he talked about how, like, that has basically kind of given the song, which wasn't even pushed as a single, some life far beyond he could have possibly predicted. Mm -hmm. Like, it is stupidly popular for that reason. And it is just a sweet, like... It's sweet in a way that he rarely is on the rest of his discography at this point. Like, I don't know what fucking happened with him, but, like, even when he's being fucking goofy as on Rock in the Suburbs, which is just an absolute goof of a fucking song, even with that song, it still has a fucking guitar freak out at the end. It's got these little fucking little, like, kind of, like, salsa right. keyboard things on there. Like, he really takes all the lessons that he learned from the last three Ben Folds album and just kind of applies them into a very digestible format. Like, it's... Well, also, yeah. I mean... You know, we talk about um, someone who's confident in the studio. I, I I always like to listen to Ascent of Stan mm -hmm. and try to pick out all of the different melodic things that he adds because every chorus, if you pay attention to the backing production, the synth line is different. It's a different synth sound and it's a different melody. And in the last chorus, there's like four different things happening, mm -hmm. all like fighting for your attention. And I just love yeah. that. <laughs> I love that that it's it's very much, you know, on on the top layer, there's like a pop song about, you know, becoming the man. But then underneath, there's so much to dissect and digest. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the, I mean, that's the strength of a lot of this record is when even just his piano parts obviously are very complex, but then he in here he's adding layer upon layer upon layer on top of that, not just of orchestration, but of, of the synth parts. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, gives this whole record an entirely different atmosphere. That's why you have black tears streaming down your face right now as you talk about this. <laughs> yes, yeah, currently. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and even like not the same when it's got that little, in the second verse, when suddenly it has that break of chuk, chuk, chuk. You know, before yeah. it goes right back in. Oh, my, oh God. my God. Well, that's, I mean, that was another one where, you know, I, I knew I loved that song, but listening to, to it again this week, I have a very clear <laughs> early memory of Bria Vale in our living room, like backwards hat, hemp necklace, <laughs> screaming, you are not the same oh, yeah. at the top of her lungs. Yeah. 
Like, <laughs> well, that, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, we've talked multiple times about how this was important to our family, right? I mean, like, I was still at home through rocking the suburbs, right? And then I went off to college and things changed and my parents moved to a different state and all that. But, like, the end of our childhood as, like, all of the children living at home. And, like, my dad, our dad fucking loves... I can hear him singing all of the songs on these first four albums. And so sure. I think that that also probably the emotional resonance of all of them. But also, also they're great I mean, albums. doesn't have that. <laughs> right, and right, right. No, no, no. <laughs> he still ranked them up here. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah I, and, but also, yeah, and you had your talk with your dad earlier this week, too. Oh, yeah. I actually chatted with him about Ben Folds for like 45 minutes yesterday. Oh, nice. Just, I didn't know, because I didn't want him to influence. I'll talk to him tomorrow <laughs> about it. Right, yeah. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's fair. No, I, and mostly I just, I, there, I mean, there were a lot of things I wanted to pick his brain about, but I also wanted to confirm uh, he was there for the original Rock This Bitch at the oh. Vic Theater in Chicago. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> we'll talk about that in the half hour mini solo. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. It's okay, it's okay. <laughs> but, yeah, um, but yeah, I've said, when we were talking about a lot of albums on here, uh, Bree, what's your thoughts on uh, Rock in the Suburbs? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was my number two, but I would be fine with it at number one. Also, if you guys don't have the same Messner love than I do. Um, yeah, I think I mean everything that's already been said, right? It's well, we're talking about three great albums. And also, so, yeah. it sounds like our our the, between the three of us, our top threes are all completely different. Yeah. Yeah. What's your? Because so so my I would go three, two, one. I would go whatever and ever, unauthorized biography, rock in the suburbs. And I would go whatever and ever, rock in the suburbs, unauthorized biography. Okay, so at the very least, I think we can say, by the sheer nature of outvoting, we can say whatever and ever is at number three, which is, I think, surprising to me, but I'm, like, pleasantly surprised by it. I think that's fair, right? We can do that? Yeah. Okay, so at that case, I, and I think it's kind of obvious, and I wasn't expecting this necessarily, but I would kind of throw my uh, ballot behind Terran over here. I would also say Unauthorized Biography is number two, Rock of the Suburbs at number one, because at this point, we're talking about very inscrutable albums, if anything else like that. Does that mm -hmm. sound about okay? I think we can... Yeah. Yeah, that. that's kind of great. So in that case, guys, for everyone who uh, needs to know, part of our lock-in in segment brought to you by Squarespace, uh, number 10, Lonely <laughs> Avenue, Stop number 9, for So There, number 8, money. The Sound of the uh, Life of the Mind, number 7, Songs for Silverman, number 6, Way to Normal, number 5, Super Sunny Speed Graphic, the LP, number 4, Ben Folds 5, number 3, Whatever and Ever, Amen, number 2, The Unauthorized Biography of Reinhold Messner, and number 1, Fear of Pop, Volume 1, as you know and love, I'm kidding, it's the rock on the side. But guys, listen, we just ranked 10 Ben Foles albums. We have a lot to get to in so a goddamn mini so so goddamn much. But in the meantime, let me just say, Bree, thank you so much for being here and for doing this with us. We really, really appreciate it. Oh, it was a joy. I'm excited by how uh, we kept being like, this is going to be controversial. And then we all basically agreed. We all agreed. I, I, love, yeah. I love that. I mean... You know, yes, it was a joy. Thank you for uh, I mean, and, giving me a reason to re-listen to all of these songs. Yeah, but then again, I wouldn't expect anything less from a Chartographer's All-Star! All-Star, All-Star, All-Star. But uh, listen, guys, please, uh, if you do us a favor, please uh, let us know what you think. Uh, leave us a review on any wherever platform you're listening to this on. Uh, they do help point listeners to the podcast. Uh, whatever star amount you feel like throwing at us, please, by all means, 10 stars. Is that a thing? Let's make it a thing. Uh, but also, uh, thank you so much, Taryn, as always, for joining 
joining me on this crazy journey that of we do. Of course, baby. This was amazing. Yeah. And in the meantime, keep on listening because you know that we'll be. Find us Facebook, Twitter, all the places. Have a Google Dad's good. Deep and I love theater so much that we can't stop talking about it, even during a pandemic. We don't believe theater is sleeping or paused. In fact, it's more woke than ever. The plays just keep coming. As your talking theater friends, we're filled with joy to bring you a web series and podcast with the artists you love every week. But the talking theater friends aren't enough. We want you to join our community, which is why we've set up a special friend zone in our Patreon. Join us by making a contribution starting at $1. We promise you more bonuses, goodies, exclusive interviews, and much more. Come join us, friends.